As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to a new episode of 49ers Talk on NBCSportsBayArea.com. Introducing your hosts, 49ers insider Matt Mayoko and 49ers host Laura Britt. This is 49ers Talk brought to you by Big O Tires. Laura, do I look any different today? Uh, you're wearing a hoodie, which you typically don't. Oh, well, okay. I was thinking more, do I look perhaps like safer? Health- healthier. I know where you're going with okay, this. Okay. Well, I got my vaccine, my first vaccine. You do. You look so much healthier today. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. And um, as my family tells me, you're not vaccinated until you get the second vaccine. So, But the first I'm, one, I'm to my understanding, does provide you with something. So it's better than nothing. It provides you with a shot in the arm, which I'm yeah. hoping that you'll provide That was really technical, by the way. It provides you with something, which is better than nothing. Yeah. Uh, that's my medical breakdown of the COVID-19 vaccination. I've heard on the 49ers Talk podcast brought to you by Big O Tires that you're not a doctor. Oh, you! when did you hear that? That could think, not be further from the truth. I think I might have heard it from you several I, times. Okay, fine. I've said it like at least 10 times on this podcast before. Okay, so I I was preparing for the podcast and just reading over some of the stuff that's been going on this week. And I got really excited. I got really excited thinking about this team and how many pieces they've been able to bring back. And I imagine just just being in the media and getting to cover a team like this with John Lynch, with Kyle Shanahan, with the locker room that we're always talking about, how lively it is, how exciting it is. It's really something that I don't take for granted. And we never really get to talk about that on the podcast, but I try and put myself in 49ers fans' shoes. And I imagine if you're a Niners fan right now, you're freaking out. You're so excited. This is everything you wanted it to be. And I just think it it goes to show what the front office with the 49ers is able to do. And and you're going to hear from Trent Williams a little bit later here on, on 49ers Talk. And hearing him talk about his relationship with Kyle Shanahan, his relationship with Shanahan's family, it, it speaks volumes. And it's a lot of what we've been getting at that it's not just about money. There's so much more to it. Anyway, all of that to say, I'm really excited to be here right now in this moment in time covering the 49ers with you. On, on 49ers Talk? On 49ers Talk, talking about one of the most historical franchises in the NFL at such a special time in history for this team that I, I just feel like they're – this is a team that's built to last. I don't know. I'm just excited. Wow. I'm excited. Well, Laura, you've made me so happy because, you know, one of the, the many things I like about you. What's that? Well, it's obvious. You don't there are hold, a few. Yeah, well, there, you don't hold grudges because for you to be excited talking to me on 49ers Talk, apparently you've kind of put out of your mind all the reasons I had to apologize to you last week. So this means that yeah, you and I are back on solid 
ground. Uh, we're friends again. And that, that makes me happy. It was a rough week, but we made it through and that makes people stronger. And you know what? The Ryan Fitzpatrick ship has sailed. So I got to move on and I've got a new ship that I want to oh. jump onto. Oh my. Okay. Are you ready for this? uh, I don't know if I ever can be really honestly ready for anything you have to say when it has a buildup like that, but fire away. If I had jorts, I would wear them right now. I do have some actually, but they're just not here. Jorts. If I had jean shorts, jorts. Oh, okay. Uh If I had jorts, I would wear them right now because I'm on the Garner Minshew bandwagon now. Oh, wow. Gardner Don't you Minshew. think that would so they're actually kind of similar when you think about Ryan Fitzpatrick and Garner Minshew and what they bring to the table off the field. You're talking Just about the facial hair. Facial thing. hair, excitement, energy. He would be a really good fit with the 49ers. That's that's very interesting. I just tweeted um something that uh I was reminded of because the 49ers coach Gardner Minshew at the 2019 Senior Bowl. And Gardner Minshew prepared for getting coached by the 49ers by reaching out to Nick Mullins, a friend of his. And he kind of got a kind of a preview of the terminology that the 49ers use. So he went into that week very prepared. The other thing that I that I recalled as I read back over the piece was that the 49ers at that point did not have a need at quarterback, but they studied the quarterbacks like they always would because John Lynch said, you never know when we might have an opportunity to get one of these guys and we're going to want to know what we're getting. Well, the reason you bring up Gardner Minshew, of course, is because CJ Beathard is now with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Joe Flacco is now with the Eagles. Yeah. So the the Joe Flacco era in Santa Clara did not last long, probably thankfully for all involved. Uh, Well, 49er fans probably. I don't think. You weren't excited. That did not get you hype at all. That did not get me hyped up at all. In fact, I I didn't really see him being much of an upgrade at this stage in his career over the quarterbacks the 49ers had last year. So, but Gardner Minshew is, is different. And I, I would agree with you that that would be something to get excited about as a backup coming in behind Jimmy Garoppolo. And the thing that I think what makes this reasonable, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say likely, but the reason it, it makes sense is because the Jaguars are going to be getting their quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, with the number one overall pick. They have uh, C.J. Beathard now in the town. And the 49ers wouldn't have to give up much. You know, Minshew was a sixth-round pick in 2019. 49ers have three fifth-round picks this year. Would it take one of those picks to get him? I don't know. And also, the cost is very low. I mean, he's under a million dollars for each of the next two seasons. And he has a little bit of playmaking ability. Uh, He holds on to the ball too long. He takes a lot of sacks, but he can run. I think he would be a really good option. And maybe that's something – maybe we should do a a, – an emergency podcast if something like that happens that does that sound fair you just want to hear my sound effects again that's what this is really about okay scratch the whole idea of an emergency podcast maybe we have a pop quiz for you okay um i don't have a sound effect for a pop quiz bing okay that's good i'm sure that works pop quiz where did garner Minshew go to high school um I think I know the answer to that. He went to a high school that you've heard of and I haven't heard of. That's, you're, you're onto something here. The reason I've heard of it 
He went to Brandon High School in Brandon, Mississippi. My husband went to Brandon High School in Brandon, wow. Mississippi. It's also where Sarah Thomas, the first female ref in a Super Bowl, lives as well. And I did the interview when I was in Brandon, Mississippi a few weeks ago. Oh my gosh. I did the interview in Brandon. So my in-laws, my, my in-laws all live in Brandon, Mississippi. Well, what are we doing? Well, get on the, use your sources, get on the phone, find out if, if Gardner Minshew is coming to the 49ers. Let's... I do have a close contact there. My nephew is in his mom's math class. So I will start oh getting on. <laughs> so basically you and Gardner Minshew are related. Practically. Yeah, practically Distantly. related. Yeah. It all comes back to the South. I don't know if you're starting to figure this I, out, I, Yoko. I've, I have Everything that out. comes back to Alabama and Mississippi. You're stuck with us now. Okay, so let, let's hold off on the Gardner Minshew talk, and, and who knows, maybe there will be an emergency uh, podcast that we do later. But I think really the big news of the day for this podcast is, like you mentioned, I mean, the band is back together. Uh, 49er stock, by the way, is brought to you by Planet Orange, effective, eco-friendly pest control. Mioko, I didn't think they were going to be able to do it. I didn't but think so either. I didn't think they were going to be able to bring back this many important pieces to the puzzle. I thought we've talked a lot about Kwan Williams and how critical mm -hmm. it was to, to bring him back. After the use check signing, after the Trent Williams deal, I started not believing that that was going to be a possibility. And sure enough, Kwan Williams signs a one-year deal with the 49ers. I, I find it amazing what, what they've done. And I, I guess if you look around the league, you know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have done a really good job as well of bringing back the, the main pieces, the veteran pieces for their Super Bowl team. So, you know, if you look at what teams have accomplished this offseason, you'd probably rank the Buccaneers ahead of the 49ers just because, you know, they're going for a repeat. But the 49ers have exceeded what I thought that they would be able to do. I think we all figured they'd be able to re-sign Kyle Juszczyk and Trent Williams. They did. And a lot of that, as you mentioned, Laura had to do with uh, the personal uh, relationships and, and what Trent Williams thinks of the Shanahan family and just all of that. Um, but I did not think that they would be able to sign both Jason Verrett and Kwan Williams. I thought it was going to be one or the other. But then you throw in, you know, both of those guys, you throw in Jaquaski Tart, um, DJ Jones, Jordan Willis, all back on one-year deals. And I think the 49ers are in a really good position. And when you think about it, really, I think the only player that they wanted to bring back um, but just figured out they couldn't because of the cost would be Kerry Hyder. And he signs yeah. with the Seattle Seahawks on a three-year, $16.5 million contract. Um, Akella Weatherspoon also goes up to Seattle, but I don't think the Fernandes were keen on keeping him. And then, yeah. Maybe uh, Richard Sherman's going back. This is what I said well, a few weeks ago, that that would be too... That would be too weird. Well, yeah, and also, but it it certainly opens up that that possibility of well, is Richard Sherman coming back now? And I mean, after what we've seen uh, through the first week of free agency, I, I wouldn't rule it out. The, the only question to me would be, do the 49ers consider at this stage Jason Verrett and Emmanuel Mosley their two best corners and the two guys who will be starting? you know, over Richard Sherman. 
I don't I know. Think so I, I okay. So if, if that's the case, if that's the way the 49ers would answer that question, then then they're not going to want to bring back Richard Sherman because Richard Sherman is not going to be a backup cornerback. He's still a starter, but uh, so that's why I still think that the odds of them re-signing him are, are pretty slim. Yeah, but there are rumors are that he's talking with Seattle, which, I mean, he's going to be talking to any team, and, and Seattle certainly needs some help. I just – was it last podcast that I brought up that, that he cannot go back there? When he's, he's made the switch, he can't go back. I can't not pull for Richard Sherman now. Yeah, I'm, he, a big, I'm a big believer that once I pull, I didn't grow up around an NFL team in Birmingham, Alabama. The closest one was the Falcons, and it wasn't, just and, wasn't something that we were around that much. And Gardner Minshew's high school was you know, pretty close to it. Exactly. Yeah. And the, well, the Saints are not too terribly far away. Anyway, the, the moral of that story is I didn't grow up for, pulling for an NFL team. It's all college football in mm. Birmingham. And so I pull for people, you know, I've people that are, are great people that we've gotten the chance to get to know and that you guys listening just in press conferences and interactions have gotten to know Richard Sherman. And so I want to pull for this guy. I can't pull for him if he's going to Seattle. Well, you can pull for him, but you just can't, you know, you probably shouldn't be waving a, you know, a Seahawks, you know, 12th man banner around the, uh, around Levi I stadium. Think, I don't think I'll, I don't think I'll do that. I, that would be bad news for everyone involved. I have a question that I've been wanting to ask you since the K1 Williams signing. And, and you mentioned a lot of these are one-year deals mm-hmm. um, with Jaquaski Tart, with K1, with DJ Jones, Barrett, and Jordan Willis. Did I would think that the 49ers, when I saw one year for K1, I was like, ah, I feel like you got to lock, lock them down a little bit longer than that. I just, doesn't this create a problem Next year now, you're, you're kind of back to square one. It does, but here, here's what I think is that, um, well, first off, I agree with you. I was surprised that Kwan Williams could not get a longer-term deal. The, one of the big surprises in the first week of free agency is that, I don't know if Robert Sala and Kyle Shanahan have some sort of agreement, but the Jets have not done anything with former 49ers. And Robert Sala talked a big game about all these 49ers he loved, but he didn't love them well enough to bring them to the Jets. And Kwan Williams is at the absolute top of the list. I mean, Kwan Williams is a New Jersey guy. Uh, he would be filling a need for the Jets as well as for the 49ers, of course. And I'm surprised that the Jets, with all that cap room, didn't make him a, a two-year contract offer. So what I would say, and I think the reason, you know, K1 had some injury issues last year, and he's also up there in age a little bit, but I think where the 49ers have done such a good job this off season was that they don't have any must need holes to fill in the draft. In other words, right now, when you look at their team, they don't, you know, they don't have one position where they say we need at the number 12 overall pick or in the second round or whenever we need to get a guy who's a starter at that spot. So what it enables them to do is, you know, day two of the draft, day three of the draft, I mentioned those, you know, those four um, or the three fifth round draft picks, they can get a young cornerback who has some potential that they like, that has the right mindset, and they can kind of keep that guy 
working behind the scenes on the scout team, covering, you know, the 49ers number one offense throughout the season and learning from Kwan Williams so that a year from now, if they're in this same situation, you know, they have the option of retaining Kwan Williams on another one-year deal or, hey, this guy's ready to go that we just picked up in the 2021 draft. He has a year of experience. We know that he knows the defense, so it's time to plug him in. So that's the element of what the 49ers have accomplished in this first week of free agency is they have, with nine draft picks, so much flexibility to move up, move down, get the guy that they pinpoint, and not feel rushed to get him in the lineup. Yeah, I actually was scrolling through Twitter to your point about potentially taking a cornerback with the 12th overall pick, and I saw this video. Have you seen video of J.C. Horns out of South Carolina, his pro day workouts? I I did not see the video, but I did ask him. I saw him on a Zoom call a couple days ago and asked him a question about the 49ers. Oh, what do you have to say? Well, he said that it, it would be a blessing to come to the 49ers because one of his best friends is Javon Kinlaw. When they were both at South Carolina, his locker was right next to him. He says oh, he talks, I love it. He says he talks to Javon once every two or three days. He says he's close to Debo Samuel. They talk a couple times a month, and he felt like his skill set is a perfect match for the 49ers. So tell me yeah, about was, tell me about yeah, JC well, Horn. Just super impressive. Just go watch the videos. If, okay. if you've got uh, a second, anybody that's listening, check out just search on Twitter for JC Horn, okay. J-Y-C-E Horn, uh, Joe Horn's son, actually. Mm-hmm. And it's really impressive. So I was, I had his numbers pulled up, but I can't find them now and I'm not going to make everybody wait. So just go look at the, the okay. videos. He's got an incredible vert. He had a great long jump. It's a long jump. Yeah, sure. Long jump, broad jump, yeah. whatever. Broad yeah. jump, long jump, jump, whatever yeah. you want to call it. I don't know. It was real. I was impressed. Yeah. And I kind of, and I was, I like the South Carolina tie. It's worked out for the 49ers really well so far. Yeah. And it would be, it would. It kind of makes sense. Let me go. I don't know if that's off. a reach at twelve, though. No, oh, no, I don't think so. I mean, at that position, uh, you know, you got Patrick Sertan, the second. You have Caleb Farley, but I, I think if I think a team could look at, at J.C. Horn, and you know, maybe J.C. Horn's the second best cornerback, or maybe some teams would even have him as their best quarter cornerback or the third cornerback. But I don't think twelve is too early. Here's one for you that we haven't talked about. And I think this is kind of in keeping with what the 49ers have done this offseason and how they've been able to, to really get the guys signed they wanted to get signed. The 49ers have a lot of flexibility at number 12 overall. What about a wide receiver? What about a wide receiver who is explosive and is very good out of the slot to team with Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel. And the guy I'm thinking about at number 12 overall, Jalen Waddell of Alabama. I haven't seen anybody talking about that, but to me, to bring another element of explosion to that offense, a playmaking ability to that offense, I think that that's something that people need to start jumping on because, I mean, to get a playmaker of his ability, if he's still around there at 12, uh, my my overall overreaching point here is that nothing can be off the table at number 12 
because the 49ers have set themselves up so perfectly for the draft. I feel like we generally have an idea of what direction the Niners are going to go with their first pick in the draft, their first round pick. I've got no freaking idea right now because it, yeah. of what you just said. There are so many available options. You, I could totally see them drafting a cornerback and then letting that guy have his rookie season and get, get his feet under him in the NFL. I could totally see them adding an edge rusher. I could see them adding to the offensive line and go depth there. I could see them adding a wide receiver. A lot of it, yeah. a lot of it all makes sense. So I have no idea. I really don't. I mean, that's the way they want it. They don't want other teams knowing what they're going to do. They don't want other people knowing their game plan. And you generally have an idea with, with teams where they need additions. And slot is definitely one of them. I would think that at this stage in the offseason where the 49ers are is, you know, there's if they stay at 12, there's 11 teams that pick before them. I bet you there's a scenario where they could end up taking five or six different positions just depending on who's already been selected and, and who's already, you know, who's remaining on the board. So I, I think you're right, Laura. I, th I think the everything is just wide open for them. Hey, the let's, best uh, available. That's what we've been talking about. Absolutely. Best available. Hey, let's step away for a minute. We're going to hear from Big O Tires. And when we come back, um, let's talk a little bit about Trent Williams, as well as hear from Sarah Thomas. At Big O, we're proud to call you neighbor. Get up to $150 in savings. Save up to $100 instantly on select tires. Plus, get $50 by mail-in rebate on purchases of $500 or more on your Big O credit card. Big O Tires, the team you trust. Back here on 49ers Talk, and we mentioned earlier that you're going to hear from Trent Williams. He spoke to the media this week, and I found this story fascinating. So we'll, you can read more on NBCSportsBayArea.com. Matt just wrote about this. One of the most fascinating stories out of all of this, A, he was at dinner when all of these big negotiations were going down, and he got a call from the Chiefs and was pretty far along in the process of potentially signing with the Chiefs. And so he made a commitment to Kyle Shanahan. Trent did that he would call him if he was about to make any moves and that's what happened and he even says that he couldn't bring himself to say you know the, yeah. the Chiefs and I are close to a deal he couldn't bring himself to do it so he just said hey where are you guys at with your best offer I'm ready to he, make a decision he basically said without saying it he told Kyle light a fire under Prague Marate because things are getting serious. And if you guys don't come with your best offer really soon, then I'm going to be living in Kansas city. Yeah. And the timeline that he gave us was about an hour that all this happened. So he, he talks to Kyle, he lets him know that, you know, things got to start happening here pretty soon goes, goes in to have some dinner and then all the, you know, the snowball starts to roll. But the story that he told was about, that his family, Kyle Shanahan's family, Kyle Shanahan is family, and that his family has become family. And he said he was in Cabo and had lunch with Mike, Mike Kyle's Shanahan. dad, Mike yeah. Shanahan, and that they didn't talk about free agency. They didn't talk about any of that. They caught up on life. They caught up on football. It's not about that with him. And that's what all off season, you just feel this pull, this tug, to be where you want to be. He yeah. knows this system. He knows these people. He called them family. That goes well beyond football. That'll go well beyond his time playing in the NFL. Those relationships will. And sure, money speaks. I'm not saying that it doesn't. That speaks volumes, and the kind of money that he's, <laughs> that he's going to be making does speak volumes. 
but those relationships mean a lot and it's locked him down to the 49ers for a long time. Yeah. And, and he's another interesting thing he said was that he went into free agency kind of thinking he was either going to get a heck of a lot of money with a team that he didn't necessarily want to sign with, or he was going to be back with the team that he wanted on a hometown discount. The fact of the matter is he got, he got both wishes. He's, he's well compensated, highest paid offensive lineman in the league, and he's with the 49ers, the place he wanted to be. And he turns 33 in July and he did sign a six year contract. And he also has his sights set on playing maybe up to 40 years old. And that's something that he talked about uh, when he met with the media to discuss his remaining with the 49ers. Those last years with the, with the numbers being what they are, I think it's an incentive for me to not get complacent and say, Hey, I've been giving this league 15 years. Maybe I should hang them up. I think that keeps it, that keeps the incentive, the fire burning on, on both sides. Um, you know, I, I don't, I never intend on, being below average, and the day I do, I will hang the cleats up. But um, you know, I'm, I'm 32 at at this point, about, about to be 33. Uh, when I just do look at my career and look at my career path, um, you know, I've been to the Pro Bowl last eight years. I've touched the field, so you know, I'm not, I'm not, not really worried about a decline at the moment. Um, I know six years is a lot to. To, to actually go, go and suffice, but I do think it's possible. And um and I, I do appreciate the 49ers for adding that incentive to go and get that, you know, that fifth and sixth year, which is a, the first thing Kyle said to me after we agreed was, hey, go get that sixth year. Um, you know, so when you look around and you kind of see um, the longevity of the position and you look at, at guys like Jason Peters and Whitworth, and even Joe Thomas kind of walked away on his own, but you know he he probably could have played well until he's close to forty, I'm sure, because he he didn't I mean he didn't show any signs of slowing down when he retired. So um, when you look at Jason Peters, you look at like I said um, Whitworth, those guys are are in their forties and they're still playing at a high level. I think if you look at Whitworth, his PFF grade is always amongst the top five to six in every year, no matter what. So I think just going off of that and kind of knowing the medicine now and and the way that the NFL kind of take care of their players now, I think yeah, I think playing to forty is is well within reach. And the way I feel right now, I, you know, I I do think I have six years in my body, but you know, it's I'm not gonna be unrealistic. I'll take it, um, you know, one day at a time, and you know, I'm just continue to plug away at it. But that is the goal. I have something to prove. I, you know, it, can I play it at a high level until I'm forty? That we'll see. We will see, and we will all be here with a front row seat to see if Trent Williams does play until then. Nonetheless, you got to be excited for the guy. I, what, you, what you said earlier with him telling that story about playing for a team that he wanted to be at but for a discount or playing for a team that he didn't really want to be at but making a lot of money, that's a real thing that happens in the NFL and happens to a lot of guys. Very few people get to be in the situation that he's in where he's making the money that he deserves, but he also gets to play in the – perfect type of scenario and I I don't think that that's past him at all I think that he's really trying to relish in that moment and let it all sink in that he's getting his dreams have come true I'm 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 really excited that the Prairie re-signed him and not not for the reasons that that a lot of people might think um 
you know, when it comes to free agency as a reporter and as someone who generally gets to know uh, the players, uh, you know, I, I want what's best for them. You know, if they have a, a good opportunity somewhere else, I'm all about, hey, you know, your, your career's short relatively, so you got to get what you can while you can. The reason I'm, I'm excited about Trent Williams is because I've never met the man. <laughs> I've never, I've never been in the same room with him and over zoom, he's really been good. And, you know, you, you heard him talking there. He's just very insightful and he's very, uh, you know, he, he tells you what's on his mind and, and he just, I don't know. He's just, he, he gives off a, a really good vibe and Laura, I mean, I don't want to, you know, I don't think the media should be patting themselves on the back, but you, you know that the beat writers did give him the Gary Niver award for the 49er player who's most cooperative and professional in dealing with the media. That's so, what did it. So I think that's what did it. I think, I think John Lynch and Parag like, I really Rante, like these guys. Yeah. I think he would have, I think he would have come back for, you know, minimum wage. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, yeah. not at all. Mayoko, no. don't pat yourself on the back like yeah. that anymore. Come on. I will say to your point in that we get to see, I know a lot of you are, are listening on the podcast. We get to see him. He's very calm. He's, mm -hmm. you can tell he's not nervous at all in front of the media. He really, it, it is like, you're just sitting down at a table talking to him. He's just, yeah. he just speaks his mind. It's kind of like Kyle Shanahan. Even, I would say Trent Williams might even be more comfortable in I front of, the media and answering yeah. questions and Kyle Shanahan. He's just very calm, cool, collected. Any question that's thrown his way, it's like you're sitting at lunch talking to Trent Williams and he just answers it honestly. I think he gives off a really good vibe. You know, he just seems like a you know good personality. And I know people in Washington who really have high opinion of him, but said like the last couple of years there in Washington, you know, he wasn't as easily you know, it wasn't as easy to approach him. He, he wasn't the same because he was, he was miserable there. Hey, um, Laura, I know you sat down with uh, Sarah Thomas, who became the first female official in a Super Bowl. She was the down judge. And uh, man, I think she had a, a really good game, as did the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, but tell me a little bit about Sarah Thomas and, and what inspired you to, to reach out to her and get her on the podcast. Yeah, well, first off, anytime there's a first, uh, it's an incredible achievement. And I wanted to talk to her. It's Women's Empowerment Month. We had Kiana Martin on, and she's got a unique perspective to offer. We don't get the chance to talk to many refs, officials that often. And so I just picked her brain about her journey, about you know what it's like, how she prepares, what it's like to be you know, the first. And she had a lot of great insights. So take a listen right now to my talk with Sarah Thomas. Sarah Thomas joining me now on 49ers Talk. And this is just so awesome on a lot of different levels. Women's Empowerment Month is something that we're celebrating, but it's a big moment for you in your life. And I feel like things hopefully have calmed down a bit for you. I, I was just reading over all of the accomplishments that you have. And I think a lot of people, rightfully so, a recent bias is that you became the first female official to officiate in a Super Bowl game. But I was looking at all of this long list. Let me just read this stuff off for our listeners. The first woman to officiate a major college football game, officiate a bowl game, officiate in a Big Ten stadium, first full-time female official in NFL history, and then, of course, the first woman to officiate in a Super Bowl. That's quite the long list of accomplishments for you. I think it's easy to focus in on what's happened recently. But I'm so fascinated and interested to hear 
about the journey along the way. Where did this all begin for you, Sarah? Laura, thanks for having me. I mean, it's an honor to just be able to talk to you and um, share my journey. Uh, it's funny, I I've always been involved in sports and I would like to say I was a former athlete and after playing college basketball, there wasn't a women's league for me to join. So I joined a men's church league with my brother and the guys that I always would play pickup ball with. And I'd been in that league for three years and a guy comes up to me one night after the season was over and he says, hey, look, he said, I'm sorry about what happened last night. And I was like, what are you talking about? He said, well, they voted you out of the men's league. And I was like, why? And he said, well, because you're a girl. And I was like, well, um, I've been in the league for three years. So they just now realizing this. <laughs> and so I said, was someone there for my team for us to have a fair shake? And he said, no. So I protested the vote. And when I got removed from uh, the, the men's league, I was so furious. And I remember calling my dad and I was just, I was mad. And I was like, because I'm a girl, I can't play. I've been involved in sports my entire life. What am I going to do? Well, I guess it was a couple of months after that. I was on the phone with my older brother and I just said, Hey, what are you doing tonight? I never would ask my brother that because he was like the straight and narrow of the family. And I was always <laughs> the black sheep, but, um, so he said, I'm That's going to neither here nor there. Exactly. <laughs> and so, I, uh, I, I, he said he was going to a football officials meeting and I said, can girls do that? And he said, I guess so, sis, be there at six and don't be late. So that's where I started in Pascagoula, Mississippi in 1996, 23 years of age. And I walk into that room with all these guys and the gentleman at the front just stopped and like watched what I was doing. And it's funny to hear him say he thought I was somebody's wife, like making sure that their husband was where they say they were going to be. It was so funny. <laughs> but um, I sat there and thought, you've got to be kidding me. These people really get together and discuss this stuff because I hated the officials, Laura, when I played. And truth be told, they probably hated me. But I was so intrigued at the pride that they were taking in their, their job. And then that competitive side of me was like, I don't have a clue about the game of football. And I'm sure there's people out there that still think I don't have a clue about the game of football. But the thing is, is I was like, this is a challenge. And I dug in and those guys accepted me as an official, not like a female official. And if it hadn't been for them laying that groundwork to treat me as one official, just like all the other guys, I wouldn't be where I am today. I love that. It, that it just was happenstance. You asked your brother what he's doing. And then this kind of opened up all these doors for you. Obviously you fought hard to open those doors, but that's great. Yeah. With, um, I, I know for college football, I love this tie too, because I went to UAB, UAB Blazer. Um, your first experience came within Conference USA. Yep. What was that like when you're on such a big stage at that moment and officiating so many people, it doesn't matter what gender you are, want to be at that level of officiating. What was it like for you? Were there nerves? What, what was that moment? Just honestly, when Gerald hired me into Conference USA, uh, my first game was Jacksonville State at Memphis, and I had the, the pleasure of working with a guy that I had worked high school with, Chris Cockrell. So he and I are about to walk out of the tunnel, and he looks at me, and he says, you have no idea what you're about to do, do you? And I went, yeah, 
I'm going to work a football game. And he said, you kill me, you know, you just, because that's how I look at it and approach it. But after that game and having replay and then having someone constructively criticize you or coach you, you, you get a quick dose of humble pie because you cannot hide in this profession. And I realized real quick that I need to focus on being the best line of scrimmage official that I can be when I'm given the opportunity to work. So yes, there were probably some nerves. I don't remember that because you just have to carry yourself. You know, you have to have that confidence, but I, I, the competence brings the confidence. And, and I, um, I had a, a huge learning curve that I had to get through in officiating at that level. Yeah, for those years that go on between that moment and this incredible moment in your career where you're at the Super Bowl with, you know, Tom Brady and Bruce Arians, uh, you know, these just guys in the NFL that are historical figures in, in the National Football League. Take us through that journey. What were the challenges? What were some of the things that you faced? It sounds like you have a very, I have a very similar approach to you in our business, being a, a woman working in sports as well. I've never stepped back and said, hey, I can't do this because I'm a female. I've always just tried to be the best sports broadcaster that I can be, be the best broadcaster that I can be. And it sounds like you have had that similar approach in your officiating career. Just go out and study harder than everybody else, no matter yeah. you know what it is. What were those years like? Because it is easy to look at the end and see, you know, close the book and go, wow, that was a great story. But there's all the meat in the middle of it. Sure. And your approach, yeah, we're, we're like mirrored images um, in that regard, because I always say it has to start with me. I have to look in the mirror and be proud of what I'm doing. And I did have to study harder because I didn't play the game. So I had to learn the game on top of learning the rules to apply them on the field if there was a penalty. But when they hired me in 2015, that was... And you don't go into the NFL and be an alternate, if you will. You're on a crew. So you're out there working a full schedule right off the bat. And then the second year, it was a different crew. And then the third year, I was on a different crew. And it's kind of like juggling, like, where is she going to mesh or who's going to mesh with her? Because chemistry off the field is going to carry over to the field. And um, I just, the challenges, I would say, was, the biggest thing we say is travel and being a mom and leaving home and going. And that was one challenge. And then trying to find the time to study with the children that were here, you know, and, um, and then I always want to respect the male's spouses and earn that because, and that's just from a female standpoint of they've all left every weekend. It's just been guys. Well, now you throw a girl into the mix and, you know, I wanted to definitely have their respect first and foremost. So carrying myself in a very professional manner. And then the fourth season I got into a, on a really good crew. I've been on great crews every time I've been, you know, involved in a crew in the, in the NFL. But this past season, it's just like you start earning your stripes. And the first playoff game that I got, that was a real huge moment in earning that respect. Not that I seek it, but we all want it just to be a broadcaster, not a female sports broadcaster. But, and so the respect starts to come. And then of course, work in the Super Bowl. It just, it's what I've strived to do, to be number one at my position 
And the guys notice that they know that. Whether or not, you know, you want the recognition of being the first of anything, there is something to, if you can see it, you can be it. What has that meant to you knowing that all the, not even young girls, grown women that are watching and go, Hey, this woman's killing it in sports. You know, I can go out and do that. What does that mean to you? And what has that been like for you? When I first heard that, uh, I believe Billie Jean King had tweeted it out after I'd worked my first playoff game. And what it means to me is that my little girl doesn't have to ask, can girls do that? She now knows along with every other women, woman that's out there, a young girl that that they can do that. And seeing it is believing it and you can go and do it. And I know that there's probably several other glass ceilings that need to be shattered, but the more that uh, they're seeing it, uh, they, they should never let their gender hold them back. And, and along those same lines with helping other people, you know, I, I've mentored some people and have the opportunity to do that. And it's honestly, it's a joy to be able to see usher in the next generation and, and the future generations of our business. What is that like for you? How are you able to bring up young women or young girls that want to do what you want to do? When they hired me in Conference USA, there had never been a female applicant that I had applied. And wow. the day that they announced me being hired, I was told that there were four female applicants that day. I don't know how many there are across the country that are working collegiately or high school level, but we have several that are in the developmental program that are aspiring and maybe one day we'll be in the NFL. And I'm close with all of them. And I just, my message to, to them is make sure you're doing this because you absolutely love it because this is very challenging at times and not just on the field, but everything off the field. And, and they do, they all have a, a, a great mindset, uh, much like mine in how we approach this game. And uh, I, I think that we may see a female soon. I don't know how soon, but a, another female. With officiating, I think there's just kind of a, a mystery about it. And so I want to peel back some of what you go through as an a, a official, especially in a Super Bowl game. We know from the fans' perspective, I'm sure our listeners know a lot about that. You know, we give some insights when the 49ers were in the Super Bowl last season, you know, some insights there. But what is it like? What was the entire experience like for you? What is a day when you're going to officiate a Super Bowl look like for an official? I'll tell you, when I got the call that Tuesday, I went to self-quarantine because I had to dodge COVID because just because you get the call, you've got to get through the, you know, make, stay healthy. But we treat every Sunday game like it's a Super Bowl. We really do. Sean Hockley, the crew I was on, one of the guys would say, we'd wrap up our pregame and he'd go, hey, tomorrow's our Super Bowl. Let's give them our best. And we prepare for every Sunday as if it's a Super Bowl. The only difference in me getting the call to work in the Super Bowl is I had an extra couple of weeks to prepare instead of from Sunday to Sunday. But it is just like the players, coaches, film study, scout plays. Watch, I watched the Super Bowl from last year. I watched the championship games. I watched the game of week 12 where Kansas City played Tampa. I had that game. I worked that game in Tampa week 12. So all of that and then talking to my mentors and saying, hey, 
what what to expect, like the festivities and how much are we going to be distracted? And of course, COVID kept us locked down in our room, but it, it's just film study, film study, film study. And, you know, we've prepared for it all year. When you're watching film, what do you look for as an official and how do you study? So I, when I watch film, I watch my position and the formations that come out. Um, offensively, I'll, I'll check the defense as well and see what they're playing man or zone. And, um, and then I just work it as if I'm in that game. And mechanics is so huge in our world. I mean, basics, right? And so I will say, this is where I need to push back, or this is where I need to just turn and pivot, or this is where I need to get on my horse and kind of jog or, or whatever. But I, when I watch film, I watch it from exactly how I am going to be managing that position. Are there any, like I know Kyle Shanahan, for instance, you said you went back and watched the Super Bowl from last year. He runs this crazy offense, this crazy scheme. Is there ever a time where you see some of this stuff and you're, I mean, I know people are surprised when they're watching some of the creativity that comes out of a, a Shanahan scheme. Is there ever a moment where you're like, wow, this guy's yeah. got something up his sleeve? Yeah, you know, we get these amazing training uh, videos uh, each week, and I went back and watched a good bit of those as well. And a, a lot of times there's some unusual plays that we never want to get caught off guard. So, yeah, you, whenever I am watching film and studying film, I'll, I'll notice all of those things and I'll call up a, uh, a fellow crewmate or something. We'll discuss it. But yeah, we notice all of those things. Yes. And sometimes love we even ask, like, is there anything that would catch us off guard or you notice anything during our, our pregame discussions? And sometimes they tell us and sometimes they don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if Shanahan's going to let you know about those. Right. I would love to see that compilation video, by the way. I bet that's fascinating to watch. Yeah. What's your message um, to other women? We've kind of talked, touched on it a little bit. Um, not even just to be an official, but to break into any industry that they feel like they're not well represented in. And how do you go about that? Just a, a sliver of advice. I just tell them, you know, throw your shoulders back, keep your head high. And when you walk in, walk in with confidence and, and you'll earn the right to pull that chair up to the table, if you will. And once you do know that you did it on your merit, and um, don't ever let your gender hold you back. And don't look at life when people tell you no or you can't as a roadblock, just change that mindset to as a speed bump. And the sooner you can get it in your rearview mirror, it's gonna be behind you. And your rearview mirror is so much smaller than your windshield. And if you'll just continue to look through that windshield, there's a lot of opportunity in front of you. Yeah, it's all about a mindset. And if you can really grab hold of, hold of your mind and, and shift that mindset, people can accomplish incredible things. So you have reached such a pinnacle in your career. What's next for Sarah Thomas now? Well, I'm, I'm uh, wanting to take us some, uh, you know, R&R, &R, a nice little warm, sunny, tropical somewhere. <laughs> but we'll start, we'll start test March 1st. I'll start testing March 1st. I'll prepare for this coming season, just like I have every other season and want to get better. So for you, when you're going into a season, do you consistently roll over with the same officiating crew or are you guys separated and you get put on a new crew every single season? There's usually a shuffle of okay. you know, one or two, or uh, they may keep the whole crew intact, but typically there's a shuffle. 
And that's, that's, that's great. Yeah. That's norm. Just getting the chemistry, right. Like you said yep. earlier, well, this is awesome. This has been such a treat and our listeners. Um, I know they enjoy hearing from you and, and just a big moment in your life. Glad to be able to have you on 49ers talk and, and break down some of the incredible things in your life that you've accomplished and also offer advice to people looking to come up in this industry and really in any, any industry. So Sarah Thomas, the first female to officiate a Super Bowl and a long list of other accomplishments. Great having you on the pod. Thank you. All right, we're back on 49ers talk. I love it, Laura. Uh, the rear view mirror is so much smaller than your windshield. And if you continue to look through that windshield, there is much more opportunity in front of you. I mean, those are, that should be on a coffee mug. Those are words to live by. Yeah, that's, it's great insight. I've actually heard that um, before. And so I you're think saying about, she did not invent that? She thing? didn't invent that. No, okay. Well, but in my, in my world, she did because that's first. No, it, I, I really, I heard it a few years ago on a, on a podcast somewhere. It is great, great to think about. And I think about that often because sometimes people just get so stuck in their, in their moment and forget about the future. And it is so true. Why is the rear view mirror so small? It's, it's all behind you. What matters is what's in front of you. And I loved that perspective from her too. Yeah. And, and, you know, we talked about, you know, the, the officiating aspect of it, you know, the 49ers have Sally Clavel who is in the scouting department and she yearns to be a general manager. And I, I just kind of think of, you know, when I think of, uh, of, of those individuals and so many more, the women we see in coaching, um, I mean, it, it really, there are no boundaries, you know, there, there's, um, it, everything is open to everybody and it's just there for the taking. And, you know, Sarah Thomas took it and congrats to her and she's opening the door for so many others uh, to, to come through and, and be an official or be whatever else they want to be in the world of sports. One thing that Sarah Thomas and I had in common was our philosophy that she never she never really said, hey, I'm a woman and I'm going to go do this. And it's groundbreaking because of that. She put her head down and, and just grind it out. That's what she did. And that's, we, we related to each other on that just because that's how my philosophy has been. I don't want to be known as a female host or a female this. I just, I think anybody in any business, male, female, you can go out there, just put your head down, do the work and you know, be smarter than everybody else, study harder than everybody else, stay up later than everybody else. If you have to do whatever you have to do to make sure that you're, you're going to go in there prepared and as prepared as you can be. And I really do feel like we're in a time right now where you, you the opportunities are there, which is what you were just talking about. Anything's available, go out there, grab the bull by the horns and make it happen. And I, I just, I loved that about her. I could sense that when we were talking and it, I just respect that so much. Yeah, good stuff. And uh, hey, the grind continues for us too. And uh, it's been it's been fun to talk about uh, all the things the 49ers have done, getting their team, getting that nucleus of the team together. And uh, who knows, maybe the next time you hear our voices, we'll be talking about our my friend Laura Britt's new quarterback obsession. Garner Minshew, there will be a there will be an alarm of some kind please no alarm please oh there no will alarm. be please no alarm please no alarm thanks for listening to 49ers talk with matt mayoko and laura Britt. please rate review and subscribe for free on your podcast provider